Welcome back to Cam and Rue Start a Book Club. Rue, we just finished reading Amnesty by Aravinda Diga. Yes, we did. <laughs> what did you think? It started out pretty interesting, but I quickly got tired of being in his head. <laughs> I think this read really surprised me. I know you and I both were really looking forward to this, and um, this might be the first time we're on the same page about whether we like the book or not since we started this podcast. Right. Whether we want to recommend it or not, which (laughs) I don't. Okay, well, before we dive into our thoughts about the book, we should do a little bit of housekeeping. So let's kind of quickly talk about our next book, which I know we both have started and we're really enjoying. Uh, This book is It's Not All Downhill From Here by Terry McMillan. Um, A quick synopsis is Loretta Curry's life is full, a little crowded sometimes, but full indeed. On the eve of her 68th birthday, she has a booming beauty supply empire, a gaggle of lifelong friends, and a husband whose moves still surprise. True, she's carrying a few more pounds than she should be, but Loretta is not one of those women who thinks her best days are behind her, and she's determined to prove wrong her mother, her twin sister, and everyone else with that outdated view of aging. It's not all downhill from here. But when an unexpected loss turns her world upside down, Loretta will have to summon all her strength, resourcefulness, and determination to keep on thriving, pursue joy, heal old wounds, and chart new paths, with a little help from her friends, of course. Yes, I, that's, I'm enjoying this one. <laughs> a little bit of a, maybe like a Lifetime movie or a Tyler Perry kind of feel good, like it's meant to kind of hit you in the feelings and is like an easy, fun kind of read. Um, definitely starting to enjoy that book. And I think you and I will finish that one pretty quickly. Well, as I'm about to turn 67, this book resonates with me. <laughs> Let's see, do we have any channel news? think so we did we did order some fun bumper stickers just for um ourselves and a few uh close friends that have been listening to the podcast they don't quite know that they're getting them they definitely don't have to use them but i am sending them out just as a thank you card um to some of our close friends that have been contacting us so i'm sure by the time they hear this episode they will have received them totally no pressure they don't have to use them but I thought it might be a fun way to kind of say hey thanks for tuning in yeah I can't wait to see it (laughs) are you still getting any feedback from your friends on the last couple of reads I really haven't had a lot of interaction with my friends lately I think they're busy Oh, they're busy, huh? Yeah, I'm the retired one. They're busy. (laughs) Maybe they think you've abandoned them for your fancy podcast lifestyle. No. (laughs) You are reading plenty of other books on top of this, and I think you keep a kind of daily, weekly email newsletter with them. I do. And there's always good reads. Mm -hmm. And I have my own little group there called Ruth's Tea Party. (laughs) I'm having trouble getting them to access daily. (laughs) Well, you just said they're busy. Yeah, but it takes two minutes. 
<laughs> so Goodreads, I think, is your version of Facebook. Like, you really like to get into Goodreads, which is like a review website. People get on there and they can kind of post about what they... Well, I started this group so that we could exchange ideas on our books, only it doesn't seem to be working that way. <laughs> well, you know, Rue, there's that old fable about how you catch more flies with honey. <laughs> so maybe you could uh, tempt them into the group. Hmm. Like a sweepstakes or a giveaway or... Um... No. No. <laughs> Okay, well, I think that Goodreads community is going to be party of one. (laughs) Seems to be. (laughs) Well, I haven't had much luck with your friends either. Ricky continues to refuse to do burrow racing with me, which I am adamant she and I need to start doing. Catherine pretended like we haven't even discussed burrow racing in her name in the same (laughs) sentence. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, However, I am... Doing, I'm still doing the interval racing that I kind of took away from um, running with Sherman. Running with Sherman, uh, and I've passed on my latest interval run to both Ricky and Catherine. And I think I I know Catherine's joined me in that. I don't know about Ricky. I need to reach out to her. I think she's been having some birthday downtime though. Mm-hmm. So now that she's had all that cake, Ricky, it's time to start that interval run. Ricky celebrates her birthday for a month. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of Starbucks, lots of cake. That requires lots of running, Ricky, so I can't wait to hear what you think about this this new interval run, (laughs) which I think I sent to her, and she texted you, and she said it was um, too much to remember. Is that right? No, we were talking about it in our weekly <laughs> Bible study. And then she said it was a lot to remember, but she was going to try it. <laughs> okay, well, I'm looking forward to your notes, Ricky. I can't wait to hear them. Maybe we'll share them with our podcast community. Just let us know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's go back to Amnesty, where we had started to kind of really talk about our initial thoughts about the book. Uh, I think, Rue, you had started to say this was a book that you and I both had been looking forward to, but as we get more into the book, we started to feel maybe it was a little too drawn out. The book takes place across one day, Um, and so I think each chapter is kind of meant to be the psychological kind of thriller, kind of cat and mouse. I've read a lot of reviews on the book since finishing Um, just to kind of get a sense for how did I really feel about it. Um, And if others kind of shared my emotions about it, and that's the phrase that keeps coming up, that cat and mouse. And we can kind of get more into that later, but are there any kind of initial thoughts you want to share, Rue? I really liked finding out how illegal aliens, their thought process day by day. Of course, this is one day in Australia. But I don't think Australia is that different from attitudes in America regarding immigrants or illegal immigrants. Um, So it was interesting to see the level of attention he has to pay and change of his, the way he thinks, dresses, looks in order to fit in. Yeah, I think this definitely gives you a peek into the mind of someone that's undocumented, that is 
not following a legal path to get to the country that they're in. Um, there are many levels for why he's undocumented. Um, I think that is that particular path is something we should talk about. Um, but overall, I think this was a book that interested me from that kind of perspective, first and foremost, just because that is, I think, such a hard topic. Um, I think there are so many different ways to feel about legal and undocumented immigration, how to fix it, and it's such a hard thing to fix. It's something that every country faces. Um, and obviously people leave sometimes for very hard reasons, and you can't really get to the root of those issues or solve them without addressing a whole nation that may not really look kindly on other nations coming in and saying, let's fix this, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, he calls himself Danny. I couldn't pronounce his actual name. He's from Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Batakaloa? I think so. In Sri Lanka, and there's a civil war going there, and he had a bit of torture. So he went to Australia for college. And. Yeah, I think he. I think he didn't really intend to finish his college program. He really. His idea was after he had been tortured by the law enforcement um, in his community. Uh, his father and his neighbors kind of turn their back to him. They don't necessarily believe the treatment that he received. Um, they, they think it was suspicious. Um, and I think that was an interesting part of the book in itself. But um, he is approached about this school program in Australia. And there was like a job guarantee which I think is something Americans have heard before and we know doesn't always turn out. But um, I think his idea was to get into the country, use that program as a way to get in, drop out, and then apply for asylum. He didn't have a lot of faith in the school program producing what, he, what it said it would produce. Mm-hmm. And so he did drop out. I think he listened to another guy who told him what he was doing, and it was far different from what Danny, the program and Danny were supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he did drop out, and he did apply for asylum, and he was denied. Right, because he had used funds, to, which were his family savings. He had taken his family savings with the idea that he would move to Australia, get asylum, follow a legal path, build a career for himself and bring his family over and bring his family over. And, and I think he was mostly interested in going to Australia or really anywhere, um, to make a better life for himself, earn more than he would have in Sri Lanka. Um, and obviously escape the civil war. He loved his home in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. He talked about it being beautiful and the fish that sang and things like that, which makes me think that he really didn't want to leave home, but he felt like he had to, Mm -hmm. which I guess is what happens to a lot of people when they immigrate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there was a story in there that he told about, um, about his hometown in the wake of the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. 
about the, do you remember this? It was about the little boy that would take his bicycle and he would go from, um, there were the two warring sides, the Civil War, and he, oh, would, yeah. he would go between them and he would get <clears throat> food. food and resources and he would distribute them to anybody and everybody. And the warring sides both had told that little boy, do not share Uh with the other side Uh and he was doing that because he was really just trying to help people in need he became a little bit of a celebrity a lot of people were happy to see him and his bike as he was distributing food and um, obviously both sides start to figure out what this little boy is doing Uh, and I think the implication was that he was murdered for Mm. that yes so definitely a tough place to be, a tough situation to be in. And I think, I don't know, I think immigration is a hard situation, especially for a lot of Americans, because we often have to feel like we need to justify why someone would want to immigrate with a super violent experience, that the violence has to make it okay for us to accept someone immigrating into our country which I think can be frustrating at times. Some of my friends are DACA recipients, um, and I know what their stories are. Some are good, some are bad. But ultimately, I think people, they look for a better life for themselves and for their families. And, and it's not always on us to judge why they do that. I think we get sometimes to judge how they do it, but I don't know. I think this is a hard, (laughs) it's a hard subject. It's a hard situation. I think what frustrates me when we talk about these things is we often have to say things like, oh, they're fleeing a war or, oh, they were horrifically tortured or abused. And that's okay for them to then be next to me. And that can be frustrating. Well, this country was founded by immigrants. Yeah, I think we left England I think that's what frustrates me is that that sense of this is our land. We're not going to share. We're not going <laughs> to share, but I mean, we obliterated, our ancestors obliterated an entire people in order to be here. Mm-hmm. Native I'm Americans. Sh- I'm sure the Native Americans would not have chosen us if they could have. So mm-hmm. I think that's that frustrating side of the coin for me, the other side. Anyway, he dyes his hair blonde, which is annoying, <laughs> but he's trying to fit in. And he's got this deviated septum problem. So he's got this, I don't know, sinus problem going uh-huh. on all the time. He's constantly clop, clapping his hands. It's, it's, some of it's weird. Well, I think what was interesting to me about his hair, his posture, the way that he would go about his day was that he started talking about how in order to fit in, he needed to stop trying to look as though he was fitting in. That, <clears throat> I think he had said that Australians really are attracted to or, or like the idea of differentness. Uh-huh. And there is something to that, like that whole idea of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Sometimes you don't want to look like the sheep. Like if the sheep all like a certain look, you should be trying to look exotic and different and that's what that's what he was talking about in the book was in order to hide he needed to not look like he was trying to fit in he needed to look exotic 
I think the only thing that really stood out to me that he did, well, other than language, he did really focus on words, phrases. Um, he focused a lot on colloquialism, mm-hmm. like the common words that people use every day, um, and his posture. Those were, I think, his versions of assimilation. He worked on a certain posture that he said, um, even like uh, legal immigrants had, that mm-hmm. they kind of adopted this upright they weren't slumping. They weren't hiding. They were very much like, I'm here and I deserve to be here and mm-hmm. I have a place here. Yeah. He he said it wasn't so hard to hide from white people because we don't see them anyway. But mm-hmm. It was harder to hide from other brown people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were, there were different levels of that, though, too, because... He talked a lot about, like, the icebox Indians, which he referred to. Um, those were Indian families that followed a, a legal path to get to Australia, and the icebox Indians were their children. So they were born in Australia. Um, he said that they often wore sunglasses and didn't sweat, and that's why he called them icebox Indians. Mm-hmm. But then there's the um, other side of that, the... So there's the, there's the natural citizens that are born in that country. There's the immigrants that followed a legal process to get there. And then there are other undocumented people that didn't follow a legal process mm-hmm. to get there. So it was really like three different kinds of, as he would say, brown people that he was interacting with and hiding from or, or trying to navigate in the day. He met a group of them at the library, too, and he was trying to help other undocumented people adjust so that they could stay. Mm-hmm. He was telling them about the laws and everything. Yeah. I mean, he did a lot of research. Mm-hmm. He wanted to... He's basically an honest person. He called himself Honest Danny, or other people called him Honest Danny. Mm-hmm. So he, he wanted to be legal. He wanted to do things the right way, but circumstances didn't help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think related to that, he had a couple of different stories that definitely resonated with me. They'll stick with me. They're hard to forget. He talked a lot about the experiences of undocumented immigrants that are caught, and so they end up in a deportation camp, which <clears throat> had fun, polite-sounding names or unsuspecting names. They they seemed happy. They were happy names, I guess, like Villawood, uh-huh. Christmas Island. And he talked a lot about the horrible experiences that he would read about, either in the news or online, about people committing suicide in those deportation camps, just not being treated like humans. Um, either. Well, and being sent back to God knows what kind of torture and mayhem. Mm-hmm. They really didn't want to go back, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think for me, that story of the deportation camps really um, sticks with me because it's that idea of undocumented immigrants living in a society that is propped up by them, that there are legal and natural citizens, documented citizens even, that are benefiting in a society that takes advantage of undocumented immigrants for cheap labor, whether it's agriculture, 
or carpentry, construction. Mm -hmm. There's that baseline of undocumented labor that helps make things more profitable and affordable and easier to get to for the rest of the country. And yet that country, whether it's Australia or America or another one, England, it just doesn't want to acknowledge that and really wants to focus on isolation and borders. Mm -hmm. And that's frustrating. How long was he considered undocumented over there? How long did he live undocumented? At least two years. Because mm-hmm. he was in a relationship with this vegan girl for two years. I think it was four years because he... Yeah, it was four years. They talked about the each year being a different... So he made it quite a while, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for some reason, he divulged his secrets to one of his house cleaning clients and it just disintegrated from there. Mm -hmm. So Danny starts to build this life for himself in Australia. He finds a place to live in a grocery store um, where he rents a room from the back um, from another immigrant. He takes half of his wages Mm -hmm. and also, he has to work in the grocery stores, yeah. stocking, things like that. So he does stocking, he cleans, um, he definitely earns his wages um, just in the store alone. But then <clears throat> in order to leave that room and go do work, he set up this agreement with his, for lack of a better word, landlord, landlord, <laughs> that any profits he makes outside, the landlord gets 50% of. Mm-hmm. That's a tough life. Yeah, that's what happens when you have illegal immigrants in your country. You take advantage of them, or at least most people do. But on top of that, he really starts to get out and explore the, the city. He works on his posture. He works on his language. Uh, he makes friends at the library where he's constantly reading and trying to learn about the world around him. And he gets online to find both a job and a girlfriend. So the first job that we see him doing, performing throughout the the day-long book, um, is that of a cleaner. So he goes from home to home, and he just cleans them. It's odd how he refers to him. (laughs) Daryl the lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) And the the one lady he refers to her as house number five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he really tries not to... He tries to associate them with like an icon or something. That's, I think, how he distinguishes them and remembers them. And then if if he can't do that, he just refers to them as their house number in his head. Yeah, it creates a distance. Mm -hmm. He's trying to keep his secrets. Then he just gave it up. (laughs) And then um, he is definitely, he definitely starts to gain a reputation for himself as a cleaner. What's the nickname he gets? The house cleaner. Mm-mm. Nelson Mandela. Legendary. Legendary house cleaner. The legendary house cleaner. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, which I'm trying to decide if that's ironic or not. Like if that was given to him ironically. Well, he talks a lot about irony and how what it means in Australia is the opposite of what they're telling you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
Let's see. And then... And yet he's in demand mm -hmm. for his services. Yeah, I think that is the other... I think that just kind of emphasizes that difficult part of the immigration conversation is that people obviously know the people that hire him know or have to have an inkling that he's undocumented because of the wages he's earning for the work that he's doing. Yeah, and they don't exactly pay taxes on him. That's tough. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just part of that, like, day-to-day. -day. He talked a lot about the gentrification and, and just division of neighborhoods, like you knew which neighborhoods he could work in because mm -hmm. they were the... Uh, <laughs> he called them the... Small bun, the small butt <laughs> neighborhoods, right? They were the people that had time to exercise and they could pay for healthy produce. They could cook, um, like they could afford his services. So uh -huh. the small butt people were the people he worked for. And then the big butt people, the, the big buns people um, were the more impoverished neighborhoods where he would find people like him living. Uh -huh. I thought that was interesting. Also, there were like sections of town he would no longer go into if another brown person looked at him and saw that he was who he was or what he was. Yeah, he was definitely paranoid. And I can imagine that's an easy place to be in his situation. You definitely get a sense of paranoia throughout the entirety of the book. And that's just got to be a hard way to live if you live every day in paranoia that you've crossed the wrong path with someone just because you walk down a new sidewalk. And so he definitely overanalyzed every glance that came his way. Mm -hmm. He did not like to see strangers twice. Right. Um, that just was always kind of a risk rent, which, I mean, I think worked well for him because he did go four years up to the point of the, the day that we're in um, not being suspected. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, another story that sticks with me the second story that really sticks with me that he starts to talk about is connected to the library and it was about his friend that worked there he was undocumented and he had been talking to a uh, visitor at the library that seemed really down do you remember this it was the tourist yes. It was the British tourist, and he, that undocumented worker, had really spent a full day kind and of... And fed him. And fed him. He had listened to this guy's story about just how bad of a trip it was, how mistreated he had been. What was he upset about? What? I can't remember. But then he turned right around and turned him in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this guy... Showed him nothing but kindness... And he turns around and turns him in. Mm -hmm. He has such a bad day, bad trip. He's, I think, to the point of tears, if I'm remembering correctly. And um, the undocumented worker takes him, buys him food, has dinner with him, and then in an effort to kind of make him feel better and be and just kind of say, like, it could always be worse. Like, think about my situation and shares that with him. That... British tourist goes to the hotel he's staying in and, and reports him that uh -huh. night. Yeah. That one kind of sticks with me. 
Um, okay, so Danny is a, a cleaner. He's a house cleaner. He's the legendary cleaner in Australia, um, which I think also kind of makes you think about it. That's not an, an ironic title, how popular he must have been as mm-hmm. a cleaner, uh, which I think still continues to point at that idea of a society benefiting from undocumented labor and at the same time stigmatizing an undocumented population. Um, but from there, Danny starts to look for a personal life and he uses the internet to go onto a vegan dating website specifically because he's looking for, uh, what was it? The best women? Is that Mm -hmm. what? (laughs) Someone had told him, a friend had told him the best women were vegan vegan, and you can find them on this vegan dating site. And so he does find a girlfriend, Sonia, Mm -hmm. that you interact with throughout the book. You see him interact with throughout the book. Um, And so Sonia kind of is another way that you see the personality of Danny in the book. Well, and she wants him to go places with her, and he can't because he doesn't have a passport, yeah. and he doesn't have ID. So that adds anxiety to, mm-hmm. to his relationship. Yeah, so She's not aware that he is undocumented. Yeah, so he hasn't told her about his situation. He does talk to her about his home, and that's where we get the bulk of his memories of where he lives or where he grew up mm-hmm. and what it was like um, because he's kind of passing that information on to her and they're always really magical kinds of stories. It's always focused on the nature that he grew up in, which is something I just really appreciate having grown up in the Ozarks. I really appreciate a natural environment and it always makes me kind of feel at peace. Um But ultimately, I think this is a relationship that's doomed. Not only is he undocumented, but he is not vegan. And she doesn't seem to know that at first either. He he pretends to be vegan to have that connection with her. This relationship is based on one lie after another. Mm -hmm. But he does care for her. Yeah, I think he genuinely cares for her. And, And throughout the book, he's carrying a cactus that he intends to give to her which is maybe some sort of symbolism. I think he's definitely in a prickly situation, and throughout the entire prickly situation of the book, he's got this cactus with him for her. Um, so, so he gets involved with house number five, mm-hmm. which is a was married it, lady. Was it five or six? Five. Miss Rada Thomas. I can't remember her last name, but... She calls him the cleaner. She calls him Danny. She calls him Nelson Mandela. Um, she's not really nice to him, although she takes him places, buys him cokes and food, treats him like she, she says he's like her adopted son, but she's really not very nice to him. Mm-hmm. And she has this affair with this guy that she moves into. Her old apartment, which is house number six. Mm-hmm. And that she calls him the doctor. His family, his siblings are doctors, but he is not a doctor. He was in the army or mm-hmm. military of some kind. Yeah, he seems to have some PTSD from that as well. I think so. But they like to gamble, so they take Nanny gambling. 
Although, again, he does not gamble and he does not drink. He spends way too much time with them. And he reveals his secret to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to her, not to her boyfriend. Um, I think he starts to really see that they're not in the best situation. Not only is she cheating, uh, she's having an affair on her husband, but um, also he starts to see that maybe they're not the best couple, her and her boyfriend. Right. Um, that maybe they're a little, uh, what's the right word? Chaotic mm-hmm. and unstructured. The whole, the whole aim of this book is his predicament. He, pretty sure he knows who murders this woman. Does he reveal that and thereby put himself at risk to be deported? Throughout the book, he's kind of reviewing his memories of his time with her, and he starts to think, okay, maybe I do know some things that could be really helpful that seemed more innocent to him at the time. Um, So as he starts to really think about who she was and the time he spent with her, he starts to think, okay, I've got some information that could be helpful. But his dilemma is whether he goes forward to to discuss this or not because he is undocumented. He would ultimately, most likely, have to reveal that to the police as he's talking to them. And so it's this constant, do I, don't I? And complicating matters more is that he runs into the boyfriend that's still living in house number six, who is constantly coming back to Danny as a way of, are you going to go to the police or not? Are you going to help the investigation or not? And so... I think that's kind of the cat and mouse part of the book is not only is Danny fighting this internally for himself, but he has this pressure from the other counterpart coming Uh forward and trying to figure out, are you going to be part of the investigation or not, dude? (laughs) Yep. And so that's kind of the high stakes of the book. Um, And I think it was hard for him as he's thinking about his old friend that he walked away from. I think he had a really hard time distancing himself from her. I think he takes her death really personally um, in some ways because I think he at times thinks he could have prevented it. But also I think he had a hard time just closing the door on that friendship because he did realize it was getting too close. He was sharing too much. It was getting sloppy. He was getting worried about her gambling, her drinking, her relationships and so he kind of realized he needed to walk away but I think maybe his issue walking away from them was that they were also Indian and they were a connection to home and I think that's why he shared as much as he did with them as much as he wouldn't have shared with other people not only did he know that they were in tough situations but he knew they identified with him in some way. They weren't undocumented, but they understood him. Yep. Which I think was interesting. And that's probably all we need to admit. <laughs> um, let's see. I think ultimately for me, uh, this book did have that like kind of thriller kind of section to it. It had that kind of thriller feel to it. It did have that I guess cat and mouse thing 
component to it that all the other reviewers are talking about. But ultimately, I really struggled because for me, it was, <laughs> I understand he was, he was really challenged by the, uh, by the issue of being undocumented and coming forward, but his situation felt pretty choiceless. It felt like, okay, you know what you're going to do. You're just extending it. And I think that was the frustrating part about the book. I think if we had really thought he would or would not, if we as the reader, I think if we had felt as the reader, it was unclear what he was going to do. It would have been more interesting, but you said it yourself, Root. He was set up to be such an honest kind of, even though he was following an undocumented process, he was honest in the way that he lived the rest of his day mm-hmm. and how he treated people and interacted with them. And so I think for me as the reader, it was clear he would be part of the investigation in some way. And so any kind of will I, won't I was just frustrating. It was yep. just more delay. Yep. That's how I felt too. I was glad to be done with the book. <laughs> Yeah, I think on paper, the idea of the book, I really liked. Um, But the execution, the implementation of it, it just felt really drawn out. I think the story was interesting. Um, I I don't think I would recommend it, unfortunately. I I just think it was pretty clear cut. It was pretty obvious. And it just felt like a one big long delay. Yep. It was just a little too long, a little too repetitive. Um, but it was, it was interesting because I'm interested in those subjects, those, those issues, you know? And I kept thinking, what is he thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think as the reader, you get frustrated because you know the path he's on, you know, the situation he has because he's constantly thinking about it. So he pretty clearly lays out throughout the entirety of the book, here are my options, here's what it could look like, here's what I think I'm going to do, and then you just kind of cycle through that over and over and over. Yep. Um, And he has a way to not delay it. It's pretty clear that if he had just gone to the police from the beginning or even in the middle, he could have taken some of the anxiety out. But I guess part of that was him kind of having to come to terms with himself about addressing, hey, I've been living here undocumented for four years. Sometimes you know the right thing to do, but you really don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And so you drag your feet, and that's the feeling I got. Yeah, that's the feeling I got too. And that's that's a little frustrating as a reader to spend your day on. Mm -hmm. But it was a quick read. But I did like his character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, ultimately, if we want to talk quickly about Aravindadiga, the author, this was a really um, visual book. I think he has a really nice way of describing what his characters are doing, who they are. It was easy to picture um, the book as you were reading it. And I think, I think that's something that is always a mark of a good author to me. Mm-hmm. Because they're able to bring the pages to life in your mind really easily. Maybe if it weren't all in Danny's head, 
the whole entire story mm -hmm. weren't all in his head. If he's if he stepped outside of that and brought in what the others were actually thinking, mm -hmm. it might have been better. I don't know. Yeah, I think there would have been more at stake and more more to kind of ponder. Mm -hmm. um, I think the the way it's the book stands in its current state. You know, you're you're you just know where you're headed. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of dra feet dragging, as you were saying, Rue. Well, um, I haven't read anything by Ervin before. I do think he is a good author. My issue was more with the timeline of the story. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that Ervin has a lot of uh, attention on him for his first book, The White Tiger. That book got a lot of attention. I haven't read that book, but I did watch the movie that Netflix did. Have you seen that, Rue? No. It was an interesting story. It wasn't similar to this book, but I do think Aravind is an interesting author to kind of watch just because he does bring Indian stories to life. I think mm -hmm. that's interesting in itself. It's nice to kind of see that part of Asia get highlighted in our culture. It's it's something that I think we don't explore a lot today. Um, and I think he does a really good job of kind of bringing India um, to his readers. Mm -hmm. um, I like to read books by other countries' mm -hmm. authors. Yeah, and I think The White Tiger, what The White Tiger and Amnesty both have in common is they're definitely social criticisms. They talk about the castes and the class that we have in our societies, even if we don't have official castes and class, um, kind of that socioeconomic financial wealth division that every country faces, but especially here in America. Um, that was on my mind a lot throughout this book. Just, uh, I think, today coming through the pandemic, we're seeing a lot of housing prices go up. The housing market is just shooting up. And housing is one of the biggest ways that people in our country, in America, can develop wealth um, and grow to climb the, the socioeconomic ladder, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's getting harder and harder, I think, for some people to do that. And I think Aravind always kind of has a nice way of bringing, whether he does it subtly or not, those kinds of issues to light. Mm -hmm. Especially for characters and people that we don't often think about. So Ervin's definitely an author that I'll be continuing to watch and look for more, more works from. Yes. So while I wouldn't recommend, I guess, this book, I definitely recommend him as an author. I don't think this book represents the best of what he can do, and I'm certainly going back to read White Tiger. Um, it was definitely a great watch, and I was reading that Amnesty is being developed for Netflix with Aravind and the original director of The White Tiger, so hmm. maybe while we didn't love the book... Might like the movie. Might like the movie, so we'll keep our eyes out for that one. Well, in my problem with book is always goes back to the characters. I liked Danny. I liked Sonia. I didn't like anybody else in the book. I especially didn't like the lady who was murdered. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, 
I think that really concludes everything I've got to say about amnesty. Were there any components that stuck out to you? Nope. That we haven't it. talked about? No. All right. Well, I know that you and I are enjoying it's not all downhill from here already. Mm-hmm. I think I'm about halfway through, so I'm sure we'll be having that episode discussion soon. I know that our bumper stickers are getting here soon. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that as well. And just as always, thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. I, I am really enjoying having these conversations with you. It's been great reading this much with you. I don't think you and I have read this much together. Ever. <laughs> well, we did when we, when we were when I was little, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we've outgrown Rainbow Fish. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Although that was a great book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, I think that kind of wraps up our chapter, our episode for the day. Um, definitely, if you are still catching up on the books from our past episodes, please reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Um, you can always leave us a review and um, you can definitely find me on Instagram. And um, if you head to my website, I'm camelliot.com. That's I-M-C-A-M-E-L-L-I-O-T-T.com. You can send us an email. Um, there's a, an email form there, and I also have my social links there. So if, you, if you'd if you like to reach out and let us know what you think about our read so far, we would love to hear it. I know that Rue and I both are really enjoying hearing what our friends think about um, the books that we've been reading. So Yes, we do. It's been great. It's definitely been a fun experience, and thank you again for being here with us. Yes. Cool. All right, Rue. Well, I guess we're going to keep on reading. It's not all downhill from here for the next episode. Yes. Thank you so much for joining. Have a great day.